Welcome to episode 8 of the Female Guides Requested Podcast. I'm your host, Ting Ting. Today's guest is Josie McKee. Josie is a badass climber, and she has a booming business where she provides mindset coaching. I first met Josie in 2009. She was already a strong climber, and she climbed boldly. Back then, she often captured the moments with her DSLR wherever she traveled. Her images were expressive. I enjoyed following her journeys through her letters. Josie has spent years in Yosemite. She worked for Yosa, sent gnarly routes, and went fast on big walls. I started to learn about her stories, not only from her personal social accounts, but mainstream climbing media. I knew in the past she guided some, and I remember she took her rock guide course with scholarship. I thought she might become a full-time guide, but then she surprised me again. Right now, she lives in Lander, Wyoming, and has her own business called The Mind Athlete. She coaches people to harness stress and turn it into something beautiful for their own climbing. I think this job is perfect for her given her climbing reputation. But how did it all come together for her? And what exactly does she do? I invited her to be on this podcast to satisfy my curiosity and to collect insights on alternative professions complementary to guiding. This interview was also quite special because I haven't chatted with her in the same room since more than a decade ago. Josie is doing amazing things, and I'm happy to share with you all. Hi, Josie. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, welcome to, well, I should say welcome back to Vegas. You must have been yeah in and out vegas for a while it's been a long time since i've been here though it's fun to be here is it oh when was the last time you were here gosh i think it might have been like 10 years ago 10 years ago i climbed here yeah (laughs) yeah so what did you do here what have you been doing um we've been going up on some big multi-pitch routes just trying to explore some new things try a little bit harder pitches um we went up on the rainbow wall and did the rainbow country variation. Rainbow the... country, I even I don't even know it, about it. It's like a few pitch variation of I the see. regular route on the rainbow wall. Um, but the crux pitch was a little wet, and there was some choss up there, so we wound up not doing the whole thing. Um, but it was fun. And then we went up on in the Black Velvet Canyon yesterday. And went up on the jet stream wall one day. Oh, yeah. Jet stream wall is good. It's really nice up there. We did um, cold front, which is a really neat route. Like every pitch. Well, well, the first pitch is a little bushy, but then the rest of the pitches are like really fun, different, very climbing. Interesting I only know like drifting. So, um, oh, that looks like a cool route, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. <sighs> I'm like glad that you came to Vegas because I've been wanting to interview for a while. I just like, oh, you know, but I'm not very good at Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the software is fine, but I just found that it doesn't have the touch. So yeah. it's great that you came to Vegas. I have to change to talk facing face. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to see you too. Uh-huh. But yeah, yeah, these conversations in person are always better for sure. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that um, we we saw each other briefly in 2012. I don't even remember that because. I think so. I, I came through Vegas. I can't even remember what I was doing here, but I remember like right. seeing you guys and. I like vaguely remember the house that you were living in that time. Okay, <laughs> yeah, because at that time it's a lot of bad climates crashed, so yeah. I might uh, just like blank that all out, <laughs> you know. And um, but then because all my memory is can trace back to even way back, like the first time I met you, and then I remember um, the common friends before I met you in person. It's just like, yeah, Josie, she's so hardcore, like. <laughs> Your nickname was hardcore, you know. So I, 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 I hated that nickname is it really, so I much. Really, I, I really want to know why do people I like, give you this nickname being like hardcore? I don't know. I think it was just because I was always excited to go do some big rallies and like maybe get scared a little bit. And I don't know. I was just always psyched to go for it and try hard. I think that was the thing. Is probably what that came from. It's just like trying hard. But I think that's a good quality. Yeah. So, but I mean, I guess people just not very creative to come out with like a better <laughs> nickname. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why I don't like the nickname. It just feels like, I don't know. It felt like putting a label on me that I didn't necessarily identify with. So you don't consider yourself hardcore, right? <laughs> I mean, it's uh, maybe what the thing is about it is that it's all on a spectrum, right? Like I, maybe I'm hardcore compared to some people, but really I'm not that hardcore like in the scheme of things compared to like the crazy stuff that people are doing. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I can understand that. Like, you know, I used to live in a van. People just say, wow, you know, that's... And now just like, everybody lives in the van. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's not like I'm like that special yeah. and stuff. So, yeah. uh, but definitely like to me, I was just like, at that time I was like pretty impressed by this uh, and I overheard like all this brave like taking huge whippers and which <laughs> I think back then when I met you I was like I was relatively new so I was just like Josie mm-hmm. and, and so I was pretty inspired and I actually heard one of the um, podcasts you were interviewed you say I don't know if people say that being inspired by me uh, <laughs> what, how do you feel I mean must be nowadays must be a lot of people say that that you inspire them for various reasons. I think it, I don't know, there's like a side to being an inspiration to people. I'm like, I don't want people looking at me and thinking that I'm like necessarily making good decisions or doing things that people should follow in my footsteps. But um, if I can't, like, like we talked about with that nickname, it's like getting out, trying hard, being excited about stuff and being willing to, take risks and get uncomfortable push outside of your comfort zone I think if I can inspire people to do that um but not necessarily like follow the footsteps of some of the maybe stupider things that I've done (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) because I'm not like all this full of wisdom all the time um right but people is gonna see what they want to see yeah right yeah so I think I guess it's just hard to be in a place where like people look up to you and you're like, well, I'd like you to look up to this part, but not this part. Um, but yeah, especially I think 
what I found is women that are, you know, trying to get into climbing bigger routes um, are asking me questions and excited mm. about the things that I do. And that feels good. Like, I like to be an inspiration for that because there needs to be more women that are excited about that kind of stuff, I think. Great. Yeah. So, um, so let me put like, this conversation into like perspective. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I'm just too excited to see you. I'm like throwing out a lot of random questions. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, um, so, um, this podcast for me is more like talking about career. And yeah. I know the traditionally, uh, well, you have done a little bit of the traditionally defined guiding mm-hmm. work. And then, but you actually have quite a lot of pivot, mm-hmm. um, in your co- career. Like you work in, Yosa for quite many years, mm-hmm. and then now you are in Lander mm-hmm. and starting your own. You've been doing your own business, like mm-hmm. the mindset coaching. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so I was just like, wow, it could be inspiring <laughs> for um, some people who just like, okay, guiding is fun, but what if at some point I want also want to pivot? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like nice to hear. Like you experience, yeah, and all that, yeah. Well, I think maybe it just makes sense to kind of start at the beginning of how I began in the rock climbing industry as a career. And For sure, yeah. Up till now, mm-hmm. um, so I think I well, actually, the very beginning was me working at a climbing gym and teaching kids how to rock climb. You were in um, a climbing team, right? I was, yeah, mm-hmm. when I was like fifteen, sixteen, and then started coaching the youth climbing team and was also doing, like, birthday parties and, you know, after right, school, like, then, kids' belay yes. kind of stuff. So that was, like, my first job in the climbing industry was doing that. Um, and I liked it. I liked teaching kids how to climb. And so when I transitioned to more outdoor stuff, I was working for an outdoor education company um, called Naturalist at Large, taking kids climbing out in Joshua Tree, in the Pinnacles in California, Um And from there, I developed more of the outdoor guiding skills. Um, I did my SPI and then um, started working for Knowles as well. And Knowles, I think, is where I, like, really developed the skill set of and talking about, like, going adventure climbing with students. is It's a little bit different than traditional guiding. It's Uh, very different. (laughs) (laughs) On sighting in the mountains, even doing, like maybe first ascents with students um, out in the winter yeah, of a range. It's, it's like, actually fun in its own way. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so really fun, but it's like those courses are taxing on the body. They take your time because most of them are like a month long. Yeah. So they take your time away from being able to do your own stuff with climbing. Um, and so I kind of started transitioning out of that where I was like, well, I I like teaching people still, um, but I don't really have the time and I have more personal objectives and want to be able to train and all of these things. Um, so I haven't been doing as much of the, the like long courses for a number of years. Uh, but that skill set that I had and teaching, you know, for multi-pitch courses, teaching self-rescue stuff. Um, was a really good skill set to take into um, working for Yosemite Search and Rescue. I see. Um, so Yosa is after Knowles. Yeah, for the most part. I did a few more Knowles courses after working at Yosar. Um, but both 
both the Knowles season and the Yosar season are summer um, okay. for the most part. And so that kind of, you kind of really had to separate. Choose. You kind of had yeah. to choose from mm-hmm. it. Um, and so I worked for Yosemite Search and Rescue for three years and then was also living in Yosemite for a number of years before and after that. Probably about eight years in that area total. Wow. And that's a lot. Of time. Yeah. No I think that's probably like the window of time that I hadn't seen you, right? Like it was from, I think but it was I, 2013 to 15. And then I moved away from there in 2020. So. But I heard a lot of stories about you. <laughs> <laughs> All this like seven days, seven big wall and spear sand and, mm-hmm. and all that. It's a little bit hard for me to imagine that you certainly have the drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it was, I mean, living there, being there was so inspirational. It was like, this is the stuff that I wanted to do. This is how I can push myself in so many different ways. And yeah, I got into doing these things, these big walls quickly. That was like the thing for a little bit. Cause you got to climb so much in one day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely, I definitely can understand the drive mm-hmm. or the motivation people free solo. Mm-hmm. I, I can't make myself do it, but, mm-hmm. um, Imagine you don't have to deal with gear. You can cover a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so and then those kind of like speed climbing on El Cap, you're like, I think the skills of climbing in the mountains and doing some stuff free soloing, but also some harder pitches of climbing, it all ties together into being able to make decisions on the move of like, okay, this is a place where I like shouldn't be falling. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a place where I need gear. Now, this is a place where I'm going to aid climb a little bit because the moves are too hard and I'm not going to move through them efficiently. Um, and so transitions between all of this different stuff. Um, but I think the kind of dark side of it is that it is dangerous. And with putting myself in those dangerous situations and always trying to do like the next biggest hardest thing like almost every time I went rock climbing it was like okay what's next what's what's harder can I do it faster um on top of working for search and rescue and like seeing responding to climber accidents um began to just put me in a hyper stressed mindset pretty much constantly um yeah, I can't quite imagine how much you mental. You're like, okay, summer, right? You're dealing with injuries, mm-hmm. rescues, and then maybe spring and fall, you're doing your um big. Yeah, and really, like the the Yosar season was from like the end of April to end of October. Okay. Um, and so we were, you know, we were doing rescues in that whole time, climbing big things that whole time. Whew. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'm tired fun. just hearing about it. I mean, <laughs> why, why is it so fun? Like, um, I, I mean, mean, what were you thinking like when you think that that was like the thing that you like to do? I mean, I, a few people that I was on the team with have said this, or like those were the best years of my life. And mm. I, in some ways, I totally agree with it. Like it was living a dream life being able to live in Yosemite and climb almost as much as you want getting to learn all of these different rescue skills from the high angle rescue swift water rescue hiking around everywhere in the park to do searches or to like go out and carry people out 
getting to fly in a helicopter on rescues, <laughs> like all this cool stuff that was, you know, you're, you're doing a job that's helping people. And so you like, you feel good about the work that you're doing, but you're also like, this is, this is amazing. Like I get to do this. Like I get to go in a helicopter. Or I get to like go climbing for work to get up and rescue someone. Um, like someone that got their rope stuck on Royal Arches repelling. You're like, okay, we're just going to go climb up and get them. <laughs> that kind of thing so it was like it was a dream for a while it was amazing for sure Um, yeah but lots of yeah like a high stress work and play environment all the time um and so she's like las vegas (laughs) (laughs) totally (laughs) yeah we beg those people not not business but anyway uh, yeah so um so yes I can see it's exciting, mm-hmm. and then you learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, feeling help, helping people as good feeling, yeah. And the dark side, the stress, mm-hmm. and and then at some point you feel like, are, are you still into doing that type of thing, or you are like taking a break? And yeah, so I think it was toward the end of my time working in Yosemite that um, I think I had just put myself in stress too much and I didn't want to go rock climbing I like kept making myself go but I realized that I had this underlying sense of dread to go rock climbing ever like it just didn't sound fun anymore like oh this is this thing that I'm supposed to be doing like I've wrapped my whole identity up in being a climber and being like a fast big wall climber and I need to be doing hardcore things. Like it was, I don't know that I like said that consciously, but like that was my identity. And it's so I kept so doing it. like people calling you hardcore kind of like make a little like thing in your heart that you're mm. like, oh, and do you, did you think that you kind of unconscious thing that you need to live out to people's expectations? I think so. And especially at that point where you're just surrounded by people doing amazing, inspiring stuff all the time. And and knowing that I was capable of doing those things also was like, okay, so I, I have to keep doing this. But I didn't want to. Like, it didn't sound fun. I was like scared all the time or just hmm. stressed about it. I would have fun when I was actually rock climbing. But anytime I was thinking about rock climbing, I was stressed. And so it was like preparing for a day of going climbing or what I found was the worst part for me for a little while was when I was on belay ledges, just like belaying my climbing partner. I'd be like sitting there stressing about like, are we going to get to the top in time? Like, what's the descent going to be like? Like, how's this next pitch going to be? Is it going to be scary? Like all of the negative thoughts were going through my head. So basically when you were climbing, climbing at that moment, you're fine. Mm-hmm. But then once you can stop and think, mm-hmm. it kind of like, oh. like anxiety in my head. Wow. But obviously right now you're still climbing. You are yeah. in Vegas. <laughs> so I'm like, how, how did you overcome this thing? So I, I realized I needed to make a change because I still knew that I loved climbing, but there was something wrong. It was like, it was like a relationship that had gotten toxic. And I, like, 
I needed relationship therapy for my rock climbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I actually... Is there such a thing, though? I mean, it could be <laughs> a very interesting thing to explore because because I'm always, like, work, worried that if I guide, mm. at some point I don't want to go mm-hmm. for personal climbing. It's not a stressful, I think. It's, it, was, it was a very high stress. Um, but it's, it's kind of nice to hear your experience. Yeah, go yeah. on. Sorry to. Well, it, well, it's funny because we're we're on a podcast, so this is like how I found out about it. Also, was I was listening to a podcast oh. um, with this woman, Chris Heilman, who is a mindset coach, and she said all these things that I was like, "Oh my gosh, I need to like talk to her, like find out more from her." And so um, I looked her up online, and she does mindset coaching for. Um, She's a sports psychologist. She's a PhD in sports psychology. Um, and she works with a bunch of different adventure athletes. Like, she's a runner, skier, climber a little bit. And so I worked with her for um, maybe, like, off and on for, like, a year um, getting some coaching on my mindset. And one of the things that she – one of the things that, like, changed everything for me that she said to me it was, like, super simple – Um, but she asked what a sustainable, well, first she asked like, what's the most fun type of climbing that I could be doing? Um, and at the time I was like, man, limestone sport climbing sounds like the most fun. It's like the most playful. It is pretty fun. (laughs) Like low stress. Mm -hmm. The movement is fun. Um, you've got bolts. So you're like mostly pretty safe. Um, and so that's what I answered her. And then the next question was, okay, so what's a sustainable balance of like that, just like type one fun type of rock climbing, limestone climbing. Okay. And like the other big objectives that I still had to do, like big Yosemite type objectives. And I don't remember what percentage I said to her, but it was probably like, oh, I should probably be doing like type one fun, like. 70, 80% of the time, and this other stuff, like, 20 to 30% of the time. But at the time, it was totally reversed. I was, like, doing these big, hard, scary things, like, 80% of the time I was going rock climbing. And when I answered that question, I was like, oh, duh. Like, I'm overwhelming myself by making climbing always the stressful thing. And so then I moved to Lander, Wyoming and became a sport climber. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like that. Uh, okay. Like, okay. Long story short. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was the shift in my relationship to rock climbing was realizing that this is the thing that makes it really fun. And I need to feed that thing again. I need to go back like kind of to the beginning of what it's like to just be a kid playing on the rock again. You know, mm-hmm. um, and find the joy in it again. And so I did that more. I just like consciously made that shift of going climbing with intention of making my relationship to climbing better again, making it fun again. Yeah, I guess I never thought about that. I mean, yeah, I mean, with the relationship with my husband, I don't want to say that I need to work the <laughs> relationship, but certainly need to communicate, mm-hmm. right? So the same thing as any relationship is whichever is very important to your life. Mm-hmm. So climbing is the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's probably not as important as the person you're married oh, yeah. to. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it is important to me and it really has shaped my whole life. And I, I think what I've done with climbing has made me a better person. Like it's going through that process of managing stress and, and realizing what I needed to do to like in the big picture of how I approach rock climbing by going and doing the fun stuff more, but still going and doing the big goals sometimes I think is a good way to approach like any kind of goals. Like you have to have a foundation of this, what you value in the activity, what you enjoy about it. And then you can start working at the things that are harder in it and like push your comfort zone from that place of, I know why I love this thing, why I'm doing this thing. Definitely. Right. Why are like most people when they talk about the climbing experience, they like to talk about their epics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I don't think everybody wants to have epic every single day. No. Right. You would would wind up like me, like hating going rock climbing. But then the other part of it is like in the moment managing stress. So like when you're up above your protection and like you have to pull a hard move and it like this is a scary fall. Like that moment of making the decision to commit to trusting yourself in the movement and calming yourself down so that you're not like operating from this fully stressed state but you can focus on the climbing movement. Um that also translates to everything else that we do in life. Being able to do stuff deliberately with intention and calming our nervous system down. And I love that aspect of it. Definitely. I mean, it's 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 nice to hear you uh, elaborate that. Because you know what? Like, <clears throat> so for people like who say interview Alexano, right? So he just said, oh, no big deal or whatever, right? right? <laughs> but then it's not, it's inspiring in a way, but it's not very useful. Right. Right. And so I always imagine, you know, as you um, doing all the scary thing, you're willing to push hard and take whipper, big whippers. I was just like, as if it's easy. Mm. Um, I know it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of nice to, for you to tell me that, look, think about this. Mm-hmm. There's a way to cope. So you know when to go, when not to mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, and it's, like, learning to trust yourself, learning to calm yourself down, like, all of these things. Um, And I think the, I guess, going into climbing in Lander, limestone sport climbing, like, you get better at taking falls, but you also get, like, I got stronger. I started Mm -hmm. pushing myself physically more because it was safer. And so... Now I have a better perspective of, like, what I'm actually capable of. Interesting, yes. And so I feel like I can try harder on trad routes now, too. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It's That's the progression of, I guess, where I'm at now. Um, And we kind of got off track because we were talking about career, but... um. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I moved to Lander during the pandemic because it was... So a, that's... Uh, so when when was the last year you worked in Yosemite? Um, I was working there until the summer or fall of 2015. Okay. Um, and and then, what's this five years? Like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was living in... After I stopped working on Yosar, I moved to Mariposa, which is just outside oh, yeah. of the valley. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that I could still be there and climb and... 
Um, in that window of time, I was, you know, climbing in Yosemite a lot, working on the mindset stuff a lot, trying to, like... So, like, at that time, working uh, you, like... Yeah, okay. working on my own headspace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, like I said, I didn't move directly to Lander to go sport climbing a bunch, but I was doing more single pitch stuff in Yosemite. I was going on climbing trips. I was doing a combo of things. Like I went to Lander um, and did some climbing trips there, which that's another topic as well. But um, I was also doing some expeditions. Like I went to India, Nepal, Patagonia, so I was kind of mixing it up. Like Gee, I was still doing I know doing that you went to big... Patagonia, but then I was <laughs> I lost track of the Himalayas. Yeah. <laughs> so I was mixing it up and I was still mm-hmm. doing these big things in there. Um but yeah, I think so the other kind of career piece to it was it was it was the background of the technical skills that got me to Yosemite to work on the search and rescue team. Um but I really fell in love with doing patient care there. Um, oh. And I got my EMT. EMT, yes. And so I came back to Knowles um, to teach wilderness medicine courses. After. Instead of teaching rock climbing. Yeah. And that was a more sustainable way to still be involved in the outdoor community. Um, still teaching people skills that are so useful. So I was teaching a lot of wilderness first responders. I did some wilderness EMT courses also. Um, and that's why I was going to Lander was to teach the oh, yeah. CMT courses. Um, so they are, um, is still their headquarters. Is that the same? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, they have the, there's a campus, a wilderness medicine campus built, um, oh, okay. just outside of Lander called the Weiss campus. So it's a really nice place to teach. And that allowed me to like still be involved, but not like outside doing hard things with people all like, all the time. Rock climbing was that. And so I could separate myself and like, okay, I'm going to climb for myself, but still be involved in teaching and working with people in the wilderness medicine aspect. Um, and so that was a fun, like, go to Lander, go sport climbing, teach an EMT course, and then like go on an expedition, climb in Yosemite. Um, so you're gradually trying to find your balance mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. going to what is happy. Mm-hmm, okay. Exactly. <laughs> and um, actually, I remember, so I think at some point you f- might be flirting with the idea of guiding, right? Because I've seen you on this Women's Rock Guide course mm-hmm. roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you, did you after all take that course? Yeah, I did. Um, so the AMJ did... They've been doing them for a few years now, but yes. I think I was on the first one that they did. Oh, okay. The Women's Rock Guide course. Um, and I think, I'm trying to remember my thought process exactly when I took that course. Because um, I wasn't really guiding at the time. But what I was doing was teaching a bunch of skill clinics. Um, like at the Women's Climbing Festival, I okay. did. Um, I worked for my friend's company in the Eastern Sierra. Um, she was called Whitney Base Camp. Now I'm trying to remember, uh, fifth class climbing is what she's oh, called now. Oh, I know now. fifth climb because, um, um, Miranda Oakley also. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did a few courses for her. Um, I was teaching self-rescue cause that was the thing that I really felt like a skill set that I felt like I had like a specific niche and 
ability to teach those skills. Um, so I love teaching those. So I taught a few of those for her, um, as well as at festivals. And then I was getting into teaching some of this mindset stuff. Um, and taking, like, going out, teaching some of the mindsets work that I had done, as well as, like, doing some falling practice and that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think that was the main reason that I took the Rock Guide course was, like, you know, keep um, progressing my skill set um, so I could work with people outside and do skill classes because that's what I really loved doing rather than like taking people out and oh, guiding like in the traditional sense yeah. but like oh let's give these people especially the mindset and rescue skills where they're like okay you're really going to use tools. this stuff yes. as you develop as a rock climber as you start going and doing bigger things um, and because I had you know, my own experience with it, both with SAR and with, you know, personal incidents that had happened. I was like, oh, it's so useful to be able to have these skills. Um, Definitely. That, so then what I hear is you are more, like, more like an agitator at heart. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, actually I was in... That's, yeah, that's funny now, thinking back to it, because it's been a few years. But um, I was in the process of developing an education curriculum for Flash Foxy. Oh, um, And we were going to start doing all these education courses. And that was when I took the Rock Eye course, was right before that, because it was going to play into this whole new set of education programming with Flash Foxy. And then what happened to that? The pandemic happened to that. (laughs) (laughs) Pandemic <laughs> just ruling everything. Yeah. yeah, our first we had like our first spring lineup of schedules the spring of twenty twenty. Um, oh, spring twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. I remember spring twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I think, like a lot of people, the pandemic sort of just spun me on my head in terms of what I was doing um, mm-hmm. with my career. Um, so that got put on the back burner. Um, I decided to move to Lander because I was, it was a good place for me to be during the pandemic. Um, cause at that point I was, I had been in and out of Yosemite, in and out of living in Mariposa and then going on these expeditions, then was traveling to do these courses and was like mostly living in my van, which didn't work in the spring of 2020. Like there was nowhere to be. <laughs> um, and so I had some good friends um, that that own the guide service, actually, in Lander, Wyoming, um, Wind River Climbing Guides. And they were like, yeah, come come to Lander. Like, it's not as locked down as, because it's a small town. Like, it's not oh, it's as Wyoming people as don't care. Wyoming people in general don't care. Um, but I was in California at the time, and everything was shut down. Like, you uh, couldn't yeah. even, like. Yeah, California, I remember, it was bad. Yeah. Um it was weird being um, being in that transition, just like in lockdown for a little bit in California, and then like okay, I, we don't know how long this is gonna last. Yeah, nobody. But I knew. need to like figure out something to just do if we're gonna continue to live in this pandemic world. Um, and so they had some guiding work up there, so I did do a little bit of guiding that summer, um, and I wound up uh, getting it. It was sort of unrelated to the pandemic, but getting a job with the Central Wyoming Climbers Alliance as the executive director 
and International Climbers Festival director, which we didn't know if we were going to have an International Climbers Festival ever again when I took that job, but um, it was an interesting way to just get involved with the climbing community there in Wyoming, um, in Lander. Um, and so help put on the festival with them, um, as well as we do a bunch of grant writing to, um, work on the hardware, the trails, like maintain the climbing areas there. Um, and then fundraising for youth climbing programming as well. So I had my hand in a lot of different buckets with that job. Um, and so I did that for a couple of years while I sport climbed and went out in the mountains a little bit as well as, um, so I wasn't doing these like courses with like big groups of people anymore. The events had been shut down. Um, but I still wanted to work with people and teach some of the things that I was teaching. So I started doing some online mindset kind of training programs, um, which was a really fun way to like keep teaching people. And now Zoom's not quite the same as doing it in person, but I realized that it was something that I could do. Um, and so now in the last six months, I've transitioned into that pretty much full time. Um, I quit my job with the Central Wyoming Climbers Alliance and I'm now doing mindset coaching virtually with people. So you switched to full time. I know that you like mindset coaching. So also you're reaching this point that you have increased increasing clients. So it's like sustainable. Yeah. And that's, it was like seeing that it was possible and realizing that, oh yeah, like from a distance working virtually, I can work with a lot of different people. Like it doesn't have to be here in Lander. It doesn't have to be at these specific events because at the beginning of it, the events weren't happening at all. Um, but I could still do it. And then, yeah, I started growing more clients and, um, developing a specific way of kind of coaching this mindset stuff and, um, having more and more fun with it and, and learning like, I took a number of coaching courses, some neuroscience training, um, and just like read all the books that I could on sports psychology. And, and there's a handful of climbing specific sports psychology books. I mean, most people are familiar with the rock warriors way, like that kind of thing. Um, and so just like diving into learning the stuff and getting really excited about it. Like it was the stuff that worked for me. And slowly as I taught it to more and more people, it was like, okay, these are the things that are working for everyone else. So then kind of made me interested. Um, so, well, you say you listen to this podcast and mm-hmm. then you needed a little help. Mm-hmm. So you contact this mindset coach. Mm-hmm. So did you model your thing after your coach or you use it as a springboard to develop I, I don't know how how did that all happen how do you design your thing is there some sort of a training or certificate or whatever all this random yeah I mean there's not really any specific training like there's a bunch of different things that I did to train myself but like mindset coaching for climbing is sort of it's a small niche industry. Um, so you have a lot of ways. So you have to experiment, mm-hmm. be creative, mm-hmm. and then potentially learn from the job and modify it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I use some of the stuff that Chris did. And, and realizing, um, 
so Chris Heilman, the mindset coach that I was working with, like she was working with a broad spectrum of different athletes. Yeah, you meant you and, said adventure athlete. Yeah, yes. And um, I realized that I could take some of the stuff that, like, some of the stuff that she was doing, as well as you know what other people are doing, and dial it in specifically for rock climbers. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've found recently is that having like rock climbers like to follow training plans. Like not everybody does, but it's like a thing that it's like, it's easy to go on a, like a prescripted, I'm going to go to the gym, do the, these Six exercises. Six bouldering training yeah, plan. Yeah, exactly. And so you have something like that too? Yes. Well, <laughs> well, what I do right now is, um, my like kind of intro mindset programming is, it's four phone call, like Zoom sessions, or it could be in person if they're if they happen to be in Lander or wherever I am, um, over the course of two months, um, and then I design for them how they can fit in the mindset work, some exercises within their training programming. Um, that's um, that's very interesting, uh, but I still can't quite comprehend. Can we do a little case study? Yeah. So, for example. Say, um, I I say I want to hire you. Mm-hmm. So you might have uh, what? What would you say? I just like I don't know. You know, and I, I I know the climbing is a lot about mental. Mm-hmm. So I certainly sometimes afraid of falling. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fall on like tiny little gear. Um, and I want you be doing long route and all that. So I say, hey Joshi, can you help me? Yeah. <laughs> and then what what would you say? To um, so I'll usually start like the first session, I'll start off and just like dig a little deeper into, you know, what are the thoughts that are going on in your mind, the emotions that you're experiencing? Like, is it, is it fear just with going above these small pieces? Are there other elements to it? Um, if it's like specifically this fear of falling thing, then we're going to incorporate falling practice in. Sometimes people are dealing with like a mix of things. And so what what I found is interesting, and this is how I frame it to people, is that I think there's kind of three buckets that we put, that we could put stress into with rock climbing. So there's fear of physical injury. So like true falling and yeah. like breaking your ankles or whatever. Right? Yeah, that's scary. That's scary. <laughs> and that causes stress. Um, there's performance anxiety. Oh, yeah. Like, I have that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you get like, especially if you're like getting like, your project. I can't do that. Me and... too. I used to outside this thing. <laughs> yeah. And within that, it's like, you know, your fear of judgment from others, but also your expectations of yourself. And it's this very like emotional and... Um, kind of thought process like you have internal dialogue around that kind of thing right like the voices that say these stuff these things to you about like self-doubt and yes you should be able to do this that kind of thing and then the third is this kind of fear of being uncomfortable and this is something that I think a lot of people don't recognize in themselves. Yeah, because but I was just like, what, what is what that? Does that mean? Yeah, right? Um, and so one example that I like about this is, um, you know, I've done a lot of alpine climbing. And yeah, sometimes have, it's not comfortable. It's yes. not comfortable, right? Actually, a like, lot of time. <laughs> but we, we're making constant decisions 
um, in alpine climbing of risk of like this fear of falling and getting injured. But there's also the like time pressure so that we don't get stuck out in the dark, in the cold. Um, the storm the coming. Storm, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's a lot of times there's two elements to that with a storm, right? There's a physical danger yes. of like freezing to death or getting struck by lightning. But there's also the like, oh, it's probably not going to kill us. It's probably not actually going to hurt us, but it's going to suck. Like, <laughs> then I will have a story to tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's like the alpine climbing, like the fear mm-hmm. of discomfort. Happens in sport climbing too. People don't like the feeling of being pumped or like the feeling of trying hard necessarily. Like, no actually, wonder a lot of people say trying hard is a skill. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that it's, it's being uncomfortable is kind of this bucket that I've put things in. And it's like, Okay, are you actually afraid? Is that the of... kitchen sink bucket that you just put <laughs> everything else in? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. <laughs> but I think that... But it's, it's a good category. It yeah. helps people to differentiate of what they're... So I yeah. start people with like trying to build awareness of like, okay, what are you actually... What are the thoughts that are going through your mind? And mm. then what are the feelings that you feel in your body like in relation to... Like getting afraid or being uncomfortable, like what is that to for your you? body? You mean some like biological signs, like sweating and like, yeah, like shaking. Yeah, like, or like, like, do you get a nervous stomach? Or, like your heart racing. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, because so develop- trying to make connection with the questions mm-hmm. and okay, mm-hmm. the bio uh, signs. Signs, yeah. totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Gee, you tie into your EMT almost training. Yeah, I think, I mean, it does a little bit Uh because I've gotten, like I said, I took a neuroscience for coaching course and um, I've like geeked out on a lot of the research on like what's actually going on specifically with our stress responses and, but just in general, like what thoughts and emotions are and, you know, what's going on in our brains with those kind of things. Um... And it's really interesting to see that the stress response is a physiological response to something that's challenging to us. And it could be any one of those things. It could be a social challenge, like this performance pressure that we put on ourselves. It could be physically trying hard, um, like on a, you know, V whatever, like hard boulder move. Or it could be preventing ourselves from falling and getting injured. Those are stressors that give us this physiological response that actually it's there. The sympathetic nervous system response, the fight or flight, a lot of people hear that term, makes us stronger so that we can deal with these challenges better. Um, and the, the, the biomarkers within that are it increases your heart rate, increases your respiration rate, so that you can pump oxygenated blood to your big muscles so that you can try harder, so you can fight or run away from this challenge, right? And so it's actually a good thing. Yes. To an extent. Okay. (laughs) Well, you take a lot of analytical practice to to yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Gee, when I'm climbing, can I even, like, analyze it? Well... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we got off track from your case study, right? Yes. 
Right. So, um, so say you have to see maybe a quick interview of your new yeah, yeah. intake. And um, I'll give like a little bit of education on this, like、okay. what this kind of stress response is, and then your like your training assignments are you know as part of your like mental training program、okay. is to go out like so you're talking about stress above your gear, right? Like、small、you're afraid、gear. of small gear. Because you don't trust it necessarily, maybe. Yeah, because like, you know, red rock. The rock quality is not right. Like and, Yosemite, yeah, right? <laughs> In sandstone around here, for sure. Right, like our piece, right? Yeah. yeah. And so that fear is is mostly around like a physical injury type fear,、um, and so identifying like what's going on with your like what are the actual thoughts, what are the emotions that you experience.、Um, Going out and doing some of these things that gradually expose you to that fear, but where do you experience that fear? Like, go out and try to find, like, okay, how how far above a piece of gear, a small piece of gear, can you get and still feel calm? Like, where is that threshold for you? And when you can recognize what switches between, like. Being able to perform under stress and then like not anymore,、um, that'll give you an ability to start working on managing that fear,、um, because you notice like, oh, this is when I get sweaty palms. This is when my brain starts saying like, you're not strong enough for this move, or you're. Piece is gonna fail, like all of these like internal dialogue thoughts, and then kind of dialing it back from there, so that you can make decisions more rationally and comfortably.、Um, and then, so within that, like you're you're noticing, recognizing your thoughts and emotions, and then the other element will be starting to trust your gear more by either aid climbing. Taking small falls, but like progressively larger falls on that gear in a setting that is say like we've managed the risk somehow by like putting in a really good piece below that, and so you're like you're not gonna get injured, but you're gonna expose yourself to stress.、Um, and one of the things that I think is Really great is this concept of stress acclimatization. So it's just like high altitude acclimatization, where you're like,、mm-hmm. I'm gonna expose myself to a little bit of stress, but come back to calm. Okay. And gradually, as you expose yourself to stress and can make decisions and find success under stress, you'll be able to go higher into stress. Like, get stressed, come back to calm. Like. Function, make good decisions in a stressful situation, go a little bit more stress, and still be able to come back and center yourself and become calm again. So it seems like similar to say the physical conditioning you like overload、mm-hmm. and you rest,、mm-hmm. right? And then you overload and then rest,、mm-hmm. and eventually your threshold is higher,、mm-hmm. or something like they say、yeah. desensitizing or yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, but I think what a lot of people will do is they'll be like, "Oh, you just need to go take some falls," and so you go and like you get stressed, you take a fall under stress, and you're like, "It's still stressful to fall." 
It, it is. So I mean, that's why. Um, you know, a lot of time in the past, I hate people. Just like, oh, how can I climb better? They just say, oh, just go climbing. Mm-hmm. Just climb a lot and go climbing. I was just like, duh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like to an extent, definitely climbing more is what most people need to do. True. But at a certain point doing that with intention mm-hmm. is going to serve you a lot better. Yeah. Um, where there's like, there's specific weaknesses that we have. And just like with physical training, you're like, for me, I use this as an example is after climbing all these years on big walls, like my weakness is power. Like I don't boulder very much. I don't actually do hard moves that much. I have great endurance. Um, so when I do my gym training sessions, I like to focus a lot more on power and hard moves so I can work on that weakness. And same thing with mindset stuff. Like if you're somebody who like your weakness is falling, being afraid of falling, then we're going to work on that. If your weakness is red pointing and like the anticipation anxiety you get over, am I going to send this go? We work more on that kind of thing. So another question I have is, um, well, most people, just like you said, most people understand the fear of falling or the performance anxiety, Mm -hmm. right? But how do people identify that it's actually maybe it's more of a mental aspect? Just like, you know, sometimes you say, I want to work, um, strengthen my weaknesses, Mm -hmm. right? And then... And keep my strengths, say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then most people, like a lot of newer, newer climbers, they're just like, oh, I just don't have the finger strengths. Mm-hmm. So they default that, oh, I'm not strong enough. But they are not thinking that it's actually probably something else. Mm. So they might not even just think that they need coaching or help. Mm-hmm. So what would you say for people to even, like, before they identify? Because I think people find you just like, they already identify mm-hmm. that, oh, maybe I should work a little bit on my mind. Mm -hmm. So then they go to you. But a lot of people think they are just not strong enough. Right. Right? I need fingerboard. Right? (laughs) uh, Well, I think that everyone could probably benefit from some mindset coaching. Um, Because... And I think that's what's so cool about rock climbing mm-hmm. is that it is such a mental sport. It It is. And yeah. it's like all encompassing. Like you need to have technical skills. You need to have physical fitness and strength. And you need to have a strong mind to be able to focus and to be able to perform under stress. Because it's natural. It's inherently stressful. Right. Like maybe there's a few people like Alex Honnold out there that just aren't afraid of falling yeah, or but afraid his of heights. Kind but... of seem different. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but innately humans have a fear of falling, of exposure at heights. And innately humans have this performance, like this need for social uh like to fit in somewhere in the social hierarchy, right? Like we want to be seen and recognized and appreciated by the members of our community. And so those two things we're going to feel stress over. And it, I think, so the, the short answer is everyone. Um, <laughs> but I think the, the longer answer to it is it's about learning to manage your attention 
attention. And if you find that, like your focus on, mm-hmm. on climbing movement, right? Like to be able to perform your best as a rock climber, all of your energy, all of your attention is focused on the climbing movement. And mm-hmm. if you find that your mind goes to other things. Like distracted. Yeah. You get distracted. Then mindset coaching can help with that. That's you a good learn way to, to put it. Focus yeah. your attention on the thing, on the task at hand, on what is relevant right now, as opposed to like, oh, what happens if I fall? Like, who's going to judge me? Or like, do I have to send this go? Or like, I'm scared above my bowl. Like, there's just like all these thoughts that enter into our mind and distract us from climbing movement. And so, if you find yourself with those kind of thoughts, then you can benefit from training your brain to focus attention on the present moment on the climbing movement. Great. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many mindset coaches are there? Do you know? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's like, I know of probably like, five or six mm-hmm. because um, i do know that in the industry they certainly have the so-called warriors way w- mm-hmm. whatever warrior trainer ish mm-hmm. but i and then i know hazel finley is doing i forgot what she called strong it. mind okay yeah yeah and so it, i don't think there's a lot out there i mean there's a lot of six week bouldering and sport climbing training program yeah. a lot of physical yeah training yeah, because uh, it's very easy to measure. Mm-hmm. Like, do you also have some benchmark and then, like, the evaluation? And how do people know that, okay, now I'm, like, ready for my next step? Or... Mm, this is something that I definitely am working on trying to, like, how do you add weight to mindset? Right, right. right. People like <laughs> Those to, kind like, of metrics. Log um, their ascent, right? Yeah. So they like well, to feel like they are going to some sort of success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because it's mind work, it's going to be a little bit subjective. True. But journaling, reflective stuff is a lot of the work that I work on with the athletes that I work with. Um, and so they can usually see progression. Um, I think it's, it's, hard to define it quite as well as you do with physical training but the clients that I work with will see results in their climbing where they're like oh I'm so much more comfortable doing this and I just got off a call last week with this one woman that I was working with that she got back from a trip and she was like oh my gosh I'm so excited that falling practice is actually something that is working for my fears like I just didn't realize it and I asked her like what was next after because we had been kind of prepping for this trip and I was like okay so what's next from this like after this trip like now that you're home like what's the next goal what do we want to work on now and she's like I'm just really excited to continue this falling practice and like see where it takes me because it actually is something that I see progress in and so usually as I'm working with people is just checking in and like okay, where are you seeing progress? Like, what are the things that is that are working for you? What's not working? Like, how do we kind of add exercises in and keep keep progressing? So what do you think about, like, right now your work, mm-hmm. the mindset 
coaching. You even have this calendar of like when you are available to、mm. talk and all that. So how do you manage that with your I don't know what your personal life, what you do now?、Mm-hmm. Maybe still a lot of climbing and、um, do you think that you find a good balance right now? Yeah, I think so.、Um, yeah, I try to try to plan my schedule so that I can go rock climbing, like personal rock climbing, a lot.、Um, so, so, like, I, what's your like priority in life, like personally? <laughs> If, what if is my mind, one yeah, priority in life? Just like you know, you you want what's your ideal balance? I guess、mm. that's what I'm trying to get. Um. Well, I'm still trying to train for some big objectives in climbing, and so trying to maintain the climbing fitness, which is like kind of a full time job, just to like train and go climbing. Um. And so that's one of my priorities. Uh, the other thing is progressing this mindset coaching, which is you know I, I'm working now a lot with individuals,、um, but I've started to do workshops,、um, and so getting some of this information out there to the masses is this other goal. So like doing、mm. bigger like talks, workshops, like public speaking,、mm-hmm. um, and writing a book is the Ooh, other thing that I'm working on.、Um, And so, yeah, continuing to grow to kind of spread this word out there more. Yeah,、um, it's actually taking quite a while,、mm-hmm. right? Because it's it starts with this seed that found you yourself experiencing this and found it very useful,、mm-hmm. and then you train yourself and then design the courses. And at the very beginning,、um, how how did people even find you at the very beginning, though? Um, social media has been like my marketing tool,、mm-hmm. basically.、Um, yeah. Because I remember like the the stories of like say Amazon, whatever.、Mm-hmm. And then at the very beginning, they're just like, oh, all the people buying their books, they're family members.、Mm-hmm. Eventually, they have like some random person、mm-hmm. buy the first book, and they were all excited.、Mm-hmm. I was just wondering how long does that? Yeah, I I think in the beginning it was people that knew me. Right,、um, and then slowly it's been like, oh, I don't even know who this person is. Like, how did they hear of me?、Um, and it's just it's word of mouth or it's Instagram. I don't I don't know how Instagram actually works. <laughs> I mean, you change all the time. I think adjust the algorithms and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But、um, I've had. Uh, I you probably know Athena Rock Guides、um, out of Joshua Tree.、It's、oh yeah, yes, I do. Primarily for women's guide、mm-hmm. service, like they do a lot of women's programming. Yes,、um, owned by Kelly Fields and like all of her staff are women.、Um, you should interview her. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking about that.、Uh, I am heading to Joshua Tree maybe early fall.、Mm-hmm. Um, I just like to interview people in person. Yeah. 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 It's like the best way. For yeah. Me. yeah, I definitely I I should get in contact. Yeah, well, I can. We'll, we'll definitely, share her contact, yeah, connect. But, yeah,、um, but she's done some promotion for me.、Um, awesome. And so I think I've gotten a couple of people from her programs, and、mm-hmm. then、um, 
other clients that have referred me from right. to their friends, that right. kind of thing. So, yeah, anybody want to invite Josie to, you know, just give a talk, a workshop to introduce a program. Mm -hmm. Because right now you're still accepting new clients, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And especially, like, the idea of more group stuff. And so, like, I did a Mm -hmm. mindset coaching thing for um, Athena Rock Guides for her guides. um, Yes. Which was... I was thinking about, like, you know, I teach SBI courses. mm -hmm. That could be an interesting little program. uh, But... Yeah, but it's a little bit different. This affiliate with AMGA, so it's right. like hard to like alter their yeah. curriculum and stuff. Yeah. But I think it would be something interesting for guides too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's like a slightly different approach to it with guides. Like, yeah, because I think yeah. What did you do with them? Well, so there's there's kind of two components yeah, yeah. Coming to back it, to right? Guys, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so there's there's your own personal mindset management, which with guiding, like you're making so many risk management decisions and throughout the day as you get more tired or throughout the week when you've like gone out and done things a bunch mm-hmm. and you're constantly assessing risk of, right. you know, rockfall, your clients and their capabilities, weather coming in, and you have to manage that for everyone. So I think it's just a higher stress job like you have to kind of be on point so having your own mindset is really good but then also having some skills to coach other people when they're dealing with stress um and so that's how i did it with the athena rock guides course that i did was um kind of talking them through their own personal stuff and then the common stresses that guys have yeah like what did what did you find out um well, one of the things that we were talking about in that was um, a couple of their guides had been in some, like, near-miss, like, rockfall okay. incidents. Yeah. And so starting to, like... More like a risk management. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and to, like, how do you get back into climbing after you've been exposed to something that was scary and dangerous? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, kind of, like my own stress that I dealt with on search and rescue was like it was starting to affect my own personal climbing right so perhaps you your guiding stress affect your person mm-hmm. I see mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. so that was that was a big thing that we talked about and then um and then yeah how do you you coach clients especially um people, yeah, people that are... always ask me like how am I shake I mean the common thing is just like do, do I need to take some fall practice Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, and and i have a framework for like how to approach falling practice like if you have clients that you're working with on a regular basis of like okay so these are some progressive steps to like Mm. do an intentional falling practice rather than be like okay we're just gonna go out to the sport crag and like take whippers which is like it's fine it's fine just fall (laughs) Uh, no (laughs) can be good and that can work for some people Mm -hmm. but a large enough percentage of the population if you just put them up there and say like go take falls, you're actually potentially doing more harm than good because they're so stressed when they're falling that they're associating falling with stress. Yeah. So uh, what's what's your framework? <laughs> is that a trade secret? or like, No, it's not uh, a trade okay. secret. Um, I mean, I think it's really similar to what a lot of people do, mm. which is, again, kind of going back to building that awareness of like, what is your stress response? Okay. And learning to calm that stress response so that then you can take 
progressively larger and larger falls from a place of calm rather than like, okay, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, just let go and fall. Okay, that was really scary. Okay, I got to go do that again. Like you go up from like first just like dangling on the rope and swinging around, like feeling relaxed, hanging there. And then like, okay, your waist is at the bolt. Can you get yourself to con- – and this is really similar to the Rock Warriors way. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of – what a lot of people do. But um, there's breath, eyes, and body is kind of the three things that I think about okay. with um, calming yourself before falling. So um, a, an inhale and then a slower exhale is something that uh, calms the nervous system down. Um, and so – if you do, there, there's like, I'll, I'll do it here and see if you can like hear it. Um, it's like a short or it's like a fast inhale with like two and then a really long exhale along with like a little bit of sound, like an audible sigh is really calming. Um, so it's, (sighs) 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 so that's the breath work that can calm the nervous system down um two quick inhale and then with this long slow exhale mm-hmm. okay and then eyes um so like looking at where you're gonna fall but with a soft focus on more like your peripheral vision is really calming on the nervous system um and then body like feeling the body relax and being like in a position of falling um with, you know, like soft knees so that you don't impact like a, hard, like a cat. Like a cat. Um, but also specifically thinking about relaxing in your core because that yeah. can be something that we like hold, we tend to hold tension there. And if you focus on just like kind of releasing your core muscles, it has that repercussion throughout your body. Like it calms your whole body down. So those, those three things are like the quick, like We'll do this to try to calm our nervous system down. And once you feel relaxed, then taking a fall. So at the bolt, and then you can go up a little higher and do it again. Um, And just doing like a little bit of that each time you do falling practice rather than like, okay, we're going to go from totally scared of falling to like taking whippers with our feet above the bolt in one session is like maybe realistic for some people, but Mm -hmm. not necessarily like what you want to do for everyone. True, because I think for your mindset coaching, so also pretty personalized, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Some people just say, oh, I'm just going to take a couple whippers and I'm done. Yeah. That I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. But some just can't. Yeah. So. And then it's like, so it's, you know, it's whippers, but then it's like, maybe it's falls on small gear or maybe right. it's like um, taking falls when you're traversing because that's not something that <laughs> yeah. we do very much right. of. And so like. True. That makes you more scared than a vertical fall because it's just because you're novel don't know what it's like you just don't have that much information Mm -hmm. and so maybe that's what the falling practice looks like is taking these falls that are not your normal straight up and down falls interesting Mm -hmm. well next time if my client asks and i have something to say if Mm -hmm. they say they need more information i just send it to you yeah (laughs) (laughs) sounds good Um, but yeah it's fun to because like i said climbing is so is mental and physical like working on all elements of it is it's going to be useful for most people and it's really fun for me to help people out with it like i love seeing that progress with people where they're like 
timid, scared, just like generally climbing with a lot of tension to like a lot more relaxed and a lot more fun with their climbing. Yeah, I think that's beautiful that so I think a lot of people who fall in love with climbing, right? They always want to do something with climbing, if, if, ideally, mm-hmm. right? So, oh, if I can use the skill set to do jobs and obviously a lot of people think about guiding, which the traditional sense is just taking people out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think your career shifts are also pretty tight to climbing, right? Mm-hmm. Yosa, and then you flow with a little bit technical courses and taking people out. Mm-hmm. And then now is your mindset coach. Mm-hmm. So my question is like, what? I, I know this question is a little bit hard, but a different phase, you might have a different answer. What would you look at climbing now compared to like, is there any like, what's what's your relationship with climbing? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah. And it, it probably have different faces, but I'm just kind of curious. You were in love. You were like, oh, I'm a little bit tired. Now you're probably back in love. I don't know, but mm-hmm. you tell me. Yeah, I think I'm more in love with climbing than I've ever been. Mm. Um, you, you can and- review your vow here in last week. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like I did, too, because this this trip, um, I was climbing with a couple of my girlfriends, one of whom I had spent some time about two years ago climbing in the Black Canyon, um, or no, almost three, because it was 2020, um, and then on Moonlight Buttress. And she's been a person that um, we did a little bit of teaching mindset stuff together prior to the pandemic. Um, we worked a couple of clinics at the Women's Climbing Festival together, uh, Becca Dros. Um, and those trips that I did with her, I was struggling with my mindset on those trips. And then coming back a few years later and climbing with her again, um, she even said she, like, noticed it. Like, I've changed. So th- it was. I, like, renewed my vows here in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, but, but that someone that has also very intentionally worked on mindset and we've like talked about this stuff together over the years for her to have like said that she noticed that progression for me is it's kind of nice to, to have that external validation, but I knew it anyway. Like, like I said, I'm more in love with it. Like I really genuinely love going rock climbing and I don't have that same kind of dread that I used to have. Sure. I'll have like, some anxiety around it now and then, particularly like the performance related pressure stuff. Um, But I think that it is, it's become this tool that I can explore how I can grow and how I can focus and how I can just like be better at learning new things in general. Um, It's like an easy way for me to go outside of my comfort zone and like try hard things and analyze myself and my own psychology and just get better. So it's like, it's a fun tool to just be getting better at being me or being human. Um, So I'm just like always curious of what I can do with climbing. Yeah. 
Wow. Um, so, what kept you not giving up at the lowest moment? Not not giving up on climbing. Is what mm. I, mean. I think it was just that I knew that somewhere inside of me I loved it. Like, because I used to, right? Like from the beginning, there was something about it that very much was like I was drawn to that I like wanted to do. Um, and so I, I think what kept me going was curiosity of what that was and how I could find it again. And so that's, that's what I did really was like look inside and see, okay, what are my values in climbing? Why is climbing so great? And really like that component of challenge and pushing my comfort was an element of climbing that I valued and that shifted my perspective on like on the stress that I have around it choosing to do these challenging things choosing to step outside of my comfort because that's something that I actually love about rock climbing um it was just a, looking at it from a different lens Rather than being like, oh, I have to do this thing. No, I'm choosing to do this thing. And then, like, I love the movement. Like, I mean, movement is yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because right now, um, if, say, I hire you for real, I would definitely would tell, you, tell you, like, right now, um, well, full-time guiding here, I certainly, from time to time, have this, I have two worries. Mm-hmm. Uh, one worry just like, oh, I'm getting older, mm-hmm. and then I'm not... Tr- climbing as much personally mm-hmm. so I'm like worried about that and I still have some goals in back of my mind so maybe I won't be able to accomplish that mm. right so that's like one thing right another thing was just like what if someday that I lose interest in climbing which is not the end of the world for sure mm-hmm. um, but I don't want it to be because um, guiding mm-hmm. right? I want it to be if someday that I stop climbing, I want to make sure it's my personal choice, mm-hmm. not because oh, I'm just tired, burnt out, burnt out, yeah. and stuff. So, do you, do you do somebody approach you like something like this? That's an interesting <laughs> question. I don't know if I've quite heard that before, but mm-hmm. it it resonates for because some you of know we're talking about I, guiding. Yeah, yeah so, um, <laughs> um, I think like what I was just mentioning with my own personal process I think that it's so important for everyone to recognize what their value is in rock climbing like why is it that you love this activity and how does it fit in with your personal values in life like overall what motivates you what do you enjoy what do you value in life and how does that match with rock climbing and then once you can say those things how do you keep making climbing fit into those values like your choices of when you go personally climbing or like if you recognize that guiding is starting to encroach on those personal values of climbing intentionally resetting and restructuring yeah, like restart my computer fix every crap. yeah <laughs> <laughs> like clean off the hard drive right, and start yeah. over mm-hmm. definitely uh, that's just reboot yeah, wow. mm-hmm. yeah. So I think it's important to just like keep asking those questions because they'll change too. Definitely. Um, but one of the things I can't remember where I heard this, but um, goals can change. Mm-hmm. Oh, this this was my coach, my climbing coach. Uh, okay, um, he's 
I work with him for physical training. Um, mm-hmm. He works with Climb Strong. His name's Alex Bridgewater. He's great. Oh, I know um, Alex Bridgewater. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, because I attend uh, one of the... So they have this workshop in one of the gym. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Dave and Steve, they knew each other oh, for a yeah. long time. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's also in a PhD for sports psychology program. And how sad is Because he, he got injured. Um, He's good. He The injury in the fall. Um, okay. I think he burned his hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's good. Yeah, he's back to it. So, um, sorry, I don't. <laughs> Random questions. Right. Yeah. So keep keep going on your um, physical training. Sorry. Yeah. So he's he's my physical training coach, but he's also getting a PhD in sports psychology right yeah. now. So we geek out on this mental awesome. training stuff together. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the things that he was saying is that our goals in climbing can change, mm-hmm. but our values are more constant. And they might change over time, but like what we love about the activity is is more constant, and our goals in climbing usually like fit into those values. Or if they do, they're gonna be more. There's gonna be more power toward those goals if they fit into those values. So, so, so say like people ask me, okay, Tintin, like why do you like climbing? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, just like. I don't know. I, I just like it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's a valid answer, but you are saying that you encourage me to like explore even like deeper. Mm-hmm. I don't have to answer people, but then like it's deeper than it can help me to recognize mm-hmm. like my life path or choices. Mm-hmm. And stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and one of the things that I'll do with clients is have them kind of visualize their, one of their best days climbing, like a time that was, just really great mm-hmm. and then what are the elements of that day that made it so great and how can you take those elements and like try to get those things from climbing on a more regular basis um, yeah so it's like you know people will talk about you know the people that they're with or the places that they're in or you know the element of trying hard um, or maybe it's like a specific route that they really loved climbing on because of the movement. I mean, there's just so many different things about climbing that you can love. Mm-hmm. Um, but as they start to define those things, it's, it, I have like seen that kind of aha moment on their faces of like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, like that is what I love about rock climbing. I need to keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you share your story with me. Um, yeah. Because I think yeah, I mean, you might not like the nickname Hardcore, and I won't call you. <laughs> I love to just call it Josie, but uh, but I think that um, now that I know very deep about you, but the way that I see you is uh, you're always going out there and trying new things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the constant things I've been always seeing. I still remember... Um, when I just met you, you have this DSLR and took a lot of photos. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you are even selling Joshua Tree calendars mm, to that's people. That's right. You, you remember? I uh, do, yeah. yeah. So you're still taking professional photos? Uh, and... I mostly take photos with my <laughs> iPhone. <laughs> I mean, it can be professional quality for sure with you um, nowadays iPhone. I yeah. do like to take photos, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... One of the things I realized about the DSLR and like constantly going around and taking photos mm-hmm. was it was, I was always, maybe not always, but oftentimes struggling with like the balance of enjoying the moment mm. and trying to capture the moment. 
and the photo like taking the good photo that captured the moment took away from my experience of like enjoying that moment like the sunset like me watching this gorgeous sunset right now like there's never going to be a photo that's going to do that feeling justice Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so like sometimes it was fun to try but also i was like oh i'm missing my life trying to document my life (laughs) for sure because it's two different things Mm -hmm. i remember i listened to one of podcasts from this famous even i said famous i forgot his name but Mm -hmm. uh about adventure photography Mm -hmm. right and he just like well if it's a a photo itself it's like it's gonna be staged somehow Mm -hmm. right and so he will ask on the expectation that well some people might not even want to be documented Mm -hmm. because they will take the experience Mm -hmm. away so it's like yeah. the same thing. Yeah, I you think say. it's definitely a similar mm-hmm. thing to that. I just or... want to climb. Yeah. I don't need to think about this, like, somebody. Future, yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, but I still do, like, mm-hmm. and I think that's why, like, the iPhones, they're, the cameras are so nice now, too. <laughs> yes. You don't have to do a lot. Like, you can pull it out and take a photo mm-hmm. real quick and right. put it away. And it's like, you can still document some things without affecting the experience mm-hmm. as much mm-hmm. um, so i do that a bit and yeah. and then i also really enjoy when i'm around other people that are taking photos so i can have some memories of the moments without having to pull out my own camera mm-hmm. um true so yeah, yeah i don't know that's that's where i'm at with it right now <laughs> <laughs> great um so i have um best wish for your developing business mm. i know you're already thriving mm. but i know that you're trying to make it more well-known and stuff. Yeah, and thank you. Um, I'm not going to ask you about your big climbing goals because <laughs> I personally like to keep goals for myself. But uh, And I definitely, once you have that accomplished out here, then, then I'll have an excuse to ask you okay. for maybe another <laughs> podcast and stuff. And so how, if people want to, and everybody can benefit from the mindset coach. Mm-hmm. So what's the best way for them to find you um so my website it josiemckee.com or mindathletetraining.com it's the same website okay Josie Mussy. that's easy okay dot com right yeah okay um or instagram it's Josie underscore mckee underscore right um well i, I definitely will put I, it yeah people, all the link on the website yeah, people message me through there a lot so yeah great cool if I need one, can I have a discount? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, coming to me and so we can have an in-person conversation. Yeah. Thank and you. It's a pleasure forward, to catch up. Looking forward to your future endeavors. Thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm.